The Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. That is the theme of this whole series. We're spending 52 weeks going through the Bible because we believe that the, that the Bible is a unified, pulls together, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. So from beginning all the way to the end, it all points to Jesus. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, it's all about Jesus. If you don't got a neighbor, speak to the air next to you. <laughs> That's what it is. All right, so we're going to go to the book of Psalm 78. We're going to read 19 verses. So you're going to have to track with me for a moment. Now, we're going to be talking today about the wilderness. Now, if you've been raised in church or even not in church, we, we know of the wilderness. We know what it means in our lives to be in a wilderness. But I'm going to take you to the book of Psalms, and it's actually going to give us some really good insight into the wilderness that we're talking about today, and especially the wilderness experience that the children of Israel, listen very carefully, that God placed them there, but that they kept themselves there. Okay, that's gonna be important today. You're gonna see the wilderness experience, God led them there. It reminds me of another time in the New Testament where it says God led Jesus into the wilderness. So being in a wilderness state of life sometimes is a place that we go as believers. And there's something here in the book of Psalm, chapter 78, that points out a lot of things about this story. Bible says in verse 1, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. Parable meaning story. And I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. So God's saying, hey, there's going to be some dark stuff here. Really, really dark stuff. Verse four, we will not hide them from our children or from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. There is something very powerful getting ready to take place. Love verse seven, that they may set their hope in God. Let's pause. Here's God gonna tell you some dark things. But fathers, get ready to tell your children so they can tell their children, and here's what they need to know, that they can put their hope and their trust in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Now, go, now we go verse eight. Here's where it changes. Oh boy. And may they not be like their fathers. So here's the lesson. A stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart right and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Marvelous things he did in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt and in the land of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. And he made the water stand up like a heap. In the daytime, he also led them with a cloud and all night with a light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness. Everyone say wilderness. 
and he gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. But they sinned even more. Whoa. Okay, now if, you, if you're joining us weekly, you know we've traveled through this whole thing, through the Exodus, through God's faithfulness with the parting of the Red Sea. All the things he's listed here, they're in a wilderness. The sun is hot. There's minimal shade. They can't find water. And God in his goodness and his grace and his mercy takes care of them. All of that. Cloud by day. What's the cloud for? <laughs> Block that hot sun. How I many like sitting under some shade? Man, if you, if you lived in Bakersfield or you're joining us from Bakersfield, you know the value of shade. You won't even park your car in a parking lot unless you can find shade. Man, yeah. Man, that shade would feel good. Can you imagine a rock? Well, bam, boom, stream of water. And yet they sinned even more against him. By, re by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness, and they tested God in their heart by asking for food of their fancy. We're going to get to that. Everyone say fancy. I just wanted to hear you guys say fancy. And yes, they spoke against God, and they said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Wow. Major description. All right, so let's talk about this for a moment. We're in this story of telling about the Bible and about understanding about it. All right, so if you were to pull up a map, if you got a cool Bible that has one of those maps, you would notice that there are much shorter ways to get from Egypt to Palestine than going through the wilderness of Sinai. You would know. And I'll tell you right now, it's about 200 miles. I want you to imagine for a moment how frustrated and impatient you would get if you know you had to go from point A to point B, but God took you 200 miles on an alternate route and then eventually going to take you to where we'll go next week. It'd be pretty frustrating. Anybody agree? Now, you're in a car. Imagine walking 200 miles. You're in a car and you have a toddler. Are you looking to go 200 miles out of your way? Nope, you're not. So you, you would think that God, kind of like the travel agent, probably the best travel agent for the record, would go, eh, we can go here and we can go there. This is gonna be an easy trip. It's a detour that definitely tests the patience. Now, you would know, and you would think that if God were your travel agent, he would know the terrain and the shortest route. You, you would think that if he can divide the Red Sea, a direct and painless route to the promised land would be, as my wife would say, easy peasy. It would work. Surely he would have given the law, the Ten Commandments at Kadesh Barnea or Hebron or, or by the Jordan. Or, or if you look at that map, you think he would have given it right here. But he doesn't. God decides to send them through the wilderness. Now, I'm going to ask a question. I don't know if rhetorical is the right way, but it's kind of like, I'm going to say a question and you already know the answer, but I'm still going to ask it. Does God know exactly what he's doing? Of course he does. He's God. And I wonder sometimes if God becomes weary with how often we question his itinerary for our lives. I wonder sometimes 
If, 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 and I, well, I won't say it the way I, I'm gonna say it the way I should say it. I, I wonder if God is like my, my wife, Vanessa, and when she rolls her eyes, when I start talking about CrossFit or, or anything or sports or whatever, I wonder if God sits up in heaven and looks at us when we think that we know better, we know where we should be, we know what should be taking place, and I wonder in a way if God in a sense of humor just goes, oh, here they go again. I just wonder that. I, I, I wonder, how often we think we know the better route from here to there. How we are so prone to complain when, when life is moving south, but we know we want to be going north. And how we wonder if God really cares and if God knows what he's up to. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I've often thought of God's will as very mysterious at times. You ever felt that way? You just don't know. God, which way are we going here? You don't quite know what's going to happen next. But God does. And there's a reason. I'm going to say this to you. There's a reason for the wilderness in your life. And if you haven't been there, friends, I'm going to tell you, you'll be there. It's going to happen. And there's something to be learned about this whole story. Could we say that the wilderness, if we were to put something, is the wilderness would be bad for the most part, just on the surface? Okay, so we agree upon that. So then let me ask you the next question. Then is the promised land good? We'd agree to that. But looking upon the scriptures... I would disagree. Now, the promised land is, of course, a good place. But there's something that we need to understand that, that God himself said. Because there's even a danger in a promised land. Let me read it to you. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I commanded you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell on them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great terrible wilderness in which fiery serpents and scorpions and a thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you. Look here, to do you good in the end. Verse 17, then you say in your heart, here's the danger, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you will shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. What am I saying? I'm saying it's dangerous if you get to the place of promise and you think that your hands and your might and your strength had something to do with it. 
that when life gets good, remember the wilderness, the place of emptiness and, dr- and thirst and, and, and drought and, and turmoil. 400 some years in bondage. Now 40 years in a wilderness. Now in Deuteronomy, their houses are, are built. They're dwelling in them. Their stomachs are full. And they forget that it is God. That's the danger of your promised land. What's your promised land? It's what you're working towards. Okay, cool, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build this life. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? Cool, you want me to graduate high school? Man, I was hoping we were gonna kind of skip that one. Okay, cool, you want me to go to college? Cool, okay, you want me to get into a trade? Cool, oh, you don't want me to go to school? That's really rad. Oh, but you've given me the gift to do this so that I can become this. Okay, cool, I'm gonna do that. And then you work and you work and you learn and you learn and God blesses you. He directs your steps and then you get to wherever there is and you say to yourself, I did that. You played a part, but God Almighty led you there. God Almighty set it up. God opened the door that you couldn't open up. It's a matter of who's going to get the credit, who's going to get the glory. That's what they missed. Let me sum up the, the, the wilderness for you. They kept complaining. They kept rebelling. They kept speaking out against their leader, Moses. Sometimes he deserved it. And they just kept repeating. I'm going to give you some history here in just a moment. It's going to be really good. You're going to think I'm really smart. I just read books, the Bible, and I read things to help me understand these stories. But friends, I want you to hear me. I want you to know my heart. My heart's not mad, upset, or angry today at all. It's a matter of I want you to know that you are who you are because of God and God alone, and that is it. It's him in you. I know it sounds really bad to say, but we, we are, without Christ, we're, we're nothing. If you think you're great, and there's no Christ in you, you're not great. You're great because he's in you. That's why greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So why does God lead him to a wilderness? Very simple, it's said right there. To humble, everyone say humble, and detest them. So God says, look, you're getting ready to go to the classroom. Time to humble you, and then I'm gonna test you. But then it says this, and to do them good in the end. Wait a minute, where will all good things come from? God. So God's always wanted to do good in your life. And in the end, God wanted good for them. What good? Full stomachs, houses, herds, flocks, silver, gold, none of those. (laughs) You don't need 40 years in the wilderness to teach you how to get wealth. Listen, the good that God aimed to do through the wilderness testing was to make his people fully aware of their total dependence on him for everything. That was the point. I believe the real testing ground of life is the promised land of prosperity. I believe that to be true. I believe that's the testing ground when things are great. All right, so write this down, point number one. I've only got two today. Sorry, Dave. Number one, Israel's failure in the wilderness. Let's talk about it. Okay, here's the history lesson. 
The history of Israel from the Exodus when they came out of Egypt to their time of crossing the Jordan into the promised land could be sketched very briefly just like this, okay? The journey from Egypt to Mount Sinai where the law was given would have taken about three months. That's it, just three. So they leave Egypt in Exodus chapter 14 and arrive at Sinai in Exodus 19. So Exodus 15 through Exodus 18 in your Bibles describes the very first leg of the wilderness journey that they were on. For almost two years, the people of Israel stay at Sinai while the laws are given and the tabernacle of worship are planned and constructed. So if you were reading in our Read Scripture app, you would see this timeline taking place. Did you get to that part after Exodus 20 where it was like law, 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 law? A lot of time going on, a lot of law going out. Two years. Now, this period of time is covered in Exodus 19 to the end, all of Leviticus, and then Numbers chapter 1 through 10. So we're talking a lot of content here. So from Exodus 19, right before the Ten Commandments come, to Numbers chapter 10, the people are in the wilderness of Sinai. Now, in Numbers chapter 10, verse 11, the people set out from Sinai towards the promised land. They arrive at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran to the south of Canaan. And then in Numbers chapter 13, the 12 spies. You guys remember that story? We're going to talk about it next week. Next week, we're going to be focusing on Joshua. Who's Joshua? He's the guy who took over for Moses. Big character, big deal. So the 12 spies are sent in to spy out the promised land. And after 40 days, fun fact, what do 40 days always signify in the Bible? Testing. For Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights. Remember when David came on the scene to fight Goliath? How many days did the enemy come out and taunt the children of Israel? 40 days. Anytime you see the word 40 in the Bible, it is a number of testing. So if life has been really bad for you for 39 days, one more day, it's over. (laughs) Only if you learn some lessons along the way. So after 40 days, they return, and Caleb and Joshua hand in this report. We're We're gonna talk about this next week. This is just a highlight. It's so good. They say, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are all well and able to overcome. But what did the other 10 spies say? No. And then they give like this crazy little like scalable, we're like grasshoppers to them. And I could imagine Caleb and Joshua, after God literally saying, you're going to go up and take the land. By the way, God said they're going to go take the land. That Caleb and Joshua look back at Moses and they're like, who cares what these 10 guys say? God said it, so we should probably just go do it. Can I give you guys some great advice? If God said it, what anybody else says does not matter. Just take it. Roll with it. At the end of the day, if God spoke something to you, and we know that because it lines up with his words, there will be 10 naysayers who have everything to say about it. If God said it, you listen and you obey, because that's how God works. So, They decide, you know what? We're not listening to to Joshua and to Caleb. We're not gonna do it. You know what it cost them? 
38 more years. All right, so let's bring this to a personal level. A lot of teaching today. I understand that. You guys are doing great, by the way. Smiles look great. Yawns red and minimal. It's really awesome. You guys are like, man, that hour, you guys are going to nap so good today. Don't just call it tired. Call it the Lord. (laughs) Some of you should be a lot more excited about that, by the way. What's the lesson there for us? Your disobedience to God and his word will always cost you. And sometimes it's not going to be a matter of tragedy. God doesn't give tragedy. It's missed opportunities. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. You know what else it cost them? The generation that was with Moses. What was the promise they always had? You're going to the promised land. You know what they didn't get? Was it because God was mean? Of course not. We read it in the book of Psalm 78. All the good, all the good that God did, yet they still rebelled. So you know what God had to do? He had to let 38 years go by so a whole generation could die off. And now Joshua and Caleb's generation, remember how it talked about tell these stories to your children and their children? That generation, as you're going to see next week, they got the promised land. There's a lot of things in between, but notice the words of God in Numbers chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them. That's like you as a parent say, why don't my kids value their stuff? I'll tell you why, because you bought it for them, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? But when you buy it, oh no, it's cherished now. Those of you that are raising kids, you're like, you're all over this. You're like, yeah, man. It's like, man, they, they didn't, God's going, I did all these things for you to show you how gracious and merciful I am. Yet you still, you chose wrong. It's the same way we feel about that. But man, Moses, man, Mo was a good guy. When you read the the account in Numbers 14, Moses being a patient at this time and a committed leader, he goes and he just has a conversation with God and he applies himself to prayer for his people. Oh, this is so good, church. Please don't miss this. Moses knew they were missing it. And God made it so apparent to Moses that, oh, why have they done this? And I'm pretty sure Moses agreed with God. But you know what Moses did? He just got on his knees. And he prayed for those people. And he petitioned on their behalf. And you know what it did? It caused God to pardon them. Okay, Numbers 14, 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned, uh uh-oh, according to your 
word. Moses, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test. Now these 10 times, they have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But, oh, I love that word. Verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went. What look at here? And his descendants shall inherit it. But Caleb. Think of it. The whole class failed the exam. Man, they blew it. They weren't allowed to graduate to the promised land. We're all sent back to school. Anybody have to repeat a grade? That's not fun, especially when you pay for it. You pay for a class all over again. Oh, some of you are laughing. You're like, oh boy. So it was that Israel wandered in the wilderness, by the way, cared for by an amazingly patient God until those generations of unbelievers passed and died. So this period of time is covered in the rest of the book of Numbers from chapter 14 all the way to the end. Man, I don't think it's very hard to see the lessons that God was trying to tell us, trying to show them. Matter of fact, if we fast forward the story, they eventually get tired of this thing called manna falling from heaven. They're like, give us meat, please. If you are raised in the shepherd household, you're asking for a steak at least once a week. So then they start to grumble after a while, because remember, what's the cycle? Rebellion, complaining, going against their leader, just, it's just over and over and over and over and over. So they get tired of this bread, this manna falling from heaven. Then they're like, oh, give us the meat that we had in Egypt. And then, so what does God do? <laughs> God actually gives it to them. But man, it's a pretty crazy description. I don't know if you've ever read this before, but um, let me see if I can find it here because it's, it's pretty impressive. Look at Numbers eleven eighteen. Then you shall say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it is well with us in, in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one a day, nor two days, nor five days, nor 10 days, nor 20 days, but for the whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever, look at this line, come out of Egypt? Whew. They did it again. Egypt hard labor 
I'd love for you to stand with me today as we close. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end? Psalm chapter 37, verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. We love verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, that he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Watch here. Do not fret. Don't get anxious. Don't worry. Don't get scared. Don't live in fear. Man, I love this. Because of him who prospers in his way. Man, I, it's like you want to, you want to, it's like you just want to peek over and just speak to these guys and say, hey, God's got it. I mean, do you ever read stories in the Bible and just want to help someone? No, just me? Man, but it's the same thing in our lives. It's like you see things and you see the cycle. It might not be rebellion. It might not be complaining, but there's cycles that keep you away from the thing that God has planned for your life. It's like that person you care about and you pray about and you're trying to help and they keep reverting back. That you just want to go, no, 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 stop it. Anybody ever get frustrated like that in a good way? Like, please stop. We say things like, you know better and you can do this. And I read this and I'm just like, just, just be patient. Just wait on God. Just do what God wants you to do. I, I end with this. In 2014, General Motors, GM as we know it, had to recall more than 39 million vehicles. How many guys know that wasn't good? And the reason for the recall was that the cars and the trucks and the sport utility vehicles, this is crazy, had not been thoroughly tested. 39 million plus vehicles, they weren't tested properly. And the number of deaths were linked to faulty ignition switches and GM ended up paying hefty fines to the families who lost their lives. And in addition, the company sustained serious damage to their credibility as people who trusted GM now lost their faith in this once respectable car company. And here's the crazy part. The tragic loss of life could have been avoided had GM just simply put their vehicles through a proper testing process. That's it. That's all they had to do. And I say that because I think it's the same with us. We need some proper testing. We need to go through the process. There are going to be times in your life, listen to me, where God is going to have to take you through a wilderness. 
For some of us, it's because he's got to humble some things in our life. We've allowed our egos in our hands to tell us we're just too good. I got this. I don't need you, God. You know, it's funny as we never verbally say that, but sometimes how we act, we really do. Amen. Oh, me. So God has to test and he has to humble. And there's not one person in this room, no matter how young or how experienced, you really are. You're going to face the wilderness. And so my question is, is when you're in the wilderness, will you trust and will you rest in God and allow God to navigate you through? Because remember in the story, he led them cloud by day, fire by night. When they were hungry, manna fell from heaven. He was good to them and he'll be good to you. But you got to trust him in the process. Amen.